Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Actor Jim Carrey got into a Twitter feud this week with the granddaughter of Benito Mussolini. Because that's just the kind of thing that happens now, and we all have to accept it. <laughs> News at this point is just a string of unrelated words, like Elon Musk releases Harambe rap. <laughs> or this actual headline I read today, disabled chicken who survived weasel attack learning to walk thanks to custom wheelchair. <laughs> Guys, just eat the chicken. <laughs> I guffawed watching that. I mean, his beginning point was just so beautifully exactly, true. Exactly, because that's just the sort of thing that happens now, and we all have to accept it. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that was so beautifully, sadly funny. And then followed up with a couple Jim, of fine jokes. Jim Carrey gets in Twitter war with Benito Mussolini's granddaughter. Right. <laughs> and I'm supposed to choose a side, I think, and be very angry at people on the other side. Oh. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I did not know. That was so funny because I, that was exactly where I was over the weekend, like in my head. As I'm dealing with, I came across a bunch of articles on how uh, calling Trump a, a Hitler is now hot again. It had gone away for like six months. Now it's hot again. I say, you know, for the love of God. And, and I'm not the, a fan of Hitler. I know, I know, I know. So um, you claim. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was a perfect observation. We're all just supposed to accept it. Um, And then this article in the New York Times over the weekend, why exactly are so many Americans so angry and unhappy? Almost any other country today and any prior version of the United States would give its eye teeth to enjoy our manifold blessings. The country is prosperous and at peace. Blessings on your manifold, my brother. (laughs) It faces rivals and nuisances, but no major threat. The government acted decisively and capably to crush jihadist terrorism and vert a global depression. Innovation is galloping. Crime is down. Kids are behaving. And the ultimate gift, uh, lifespan, is a decade longer than in 1960. President Obama was just plain right when he wrote in 2016. If you had to choose any time in the course of human history to be alive, you'd choose this one right now in America right now. Well, then why on social media do I see over and over again that I don't think you should bring a child into this world. It's just too trouble. God, that negativity. We need, Maybe that's what's wearing me out so much. We, we should take a look at that. Barack Obama was right. Yeah. There's never been a better time to be a human being than in America right now. Hanson Book Obama on the, the show. Barack of Obama. The he was the president. But then Obama. Hussein Obama. Right, from Chicago. Thank you. I'm t- social media has a lot to do with it. It really does. Yeah. In, in, in amplifying and... Uh, I don't know if it creates it, but it certainly amplifies bitching. Um, but it's a human tendency. I mean, I regularly have to stop my kids when they're complaining, like, their day or their lives or whatever. And I'll say, let's go through the day so far. Rode bikes. Had a donut. Watched a TV show. Played outside some more. Had an ice cream cone. Watched another movie. Are you spying on me? Why are you talking about my day? <laughs> yeah, wait a Can I do that today? This does not sound like a terrible day to me. That's some good dadding. Way to dad. It's got to be, psychologists probably could nail it down for it. It's part of being human, I think. It must be. You just There's part of your brain devoted to griping or being on the alert or, or fighting or something. And, and if there's nothing to fight, you just find something to fight. I guess. Maybe that's why we all need religion or a philosophy or something. 
to, to get us away from that. The Bible! Seriously, if you were the proverbial Martian, space alien of some planet, solar system distant from us, and you just looked at social media, do you think, oh my god, this is a, this is a planet roiled with anger and hate. In fact, this, <laughs> this United States, as they call it, it is just, it's obviously on the verge of falling apart. It's never seen worse times, this poor country. And so what is going on there? So I think you take the human nature that my kids display, because they're not in social media, and then you, you make them adults and amplify it with social media and you end up with what we got. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us, and I think it's a growing number of people, you wouldn't think it by looking at the mainstream media or, or going online or looking at your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed or something. I think a growing number of people are just getting fatigued by the screeching and are thinking, well, okay, I, I think we really ought to restrict immigration, and you seem to be in favor of lots more of it. Okay, let's talk. We can We can work this out. We can figure this out. I think... The number of people who are actually whipped up and angry and screaming at each other in Starbucks and the rest of it, I think it's much smaller, a smaller number than, than you would get the idea of. You know what I'm talking about from, from looking at media and everything? Maybe it's just... Uh, it's the craziest 5% running the conversation. Maybe it's just the way society is structured. There, there'd be fewer people. There are definitely fewer people going to church, and I don't know how much that... Uh, helped, but just coming in contact with people that have it worse than you, well, it makes a huge difference in my day. Mm-hmm. I run into somebody with some real problems, and I think, oh my god, get a grip. Right. I've helped a lot of people. What now? Because my just, life, they right. see me, and then oh, they oh, feel better. Oh, he's that. He's the boy. <laughs> oh, you are that. You are that. Yeah, yeah. You're the poor unfortunate <laughs> that makes them more grateful for their lives. Well, everybody has a role, Michael. It's so windy in your room when you turn on your microphone, I can't hear you because your air conditioner is broken. <laughs> I'm hanging in here, though, guys. <laughs> Back in your wind dungeon, Michael. <laughs> Don't you let any of that heat in this nice... It's actually a little chilly in here, Michael, in case it you is. wanted to know. It is. It's a yeah. little chilly. I might have to put my jacket back on. I think I'm on. just going to cool it off even more because we can. <laughs> so, uh, this was my hilarious. favorite headline over the weekend. Suspected rhino poacher killed by an elephant then eaten by lions. Yes! Little tag team. You take him now. I got him squashed. Well, I'm hungry. Well, it's eat him the then. Circle. Eat him. <laughs> the circle of life. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, hey, brother good. elephant. I see you've squashed that poacher who was trying to kill our rhino friends. Yes, that's right. But I'm mostly a herbivore, brother lion. Would you like to eat his carcass? How very kind of you, my large-eared friend. We indeed. Let me call the bride. I just love that. And, of course, why was this, this guy and his buddies going around slaughtering these incredibly dangered rhinos to grind up their horns to give Asians better boners well, like it, everything? It doesn't, actually. No, it doesn't. Well, See, that's, that's the that's other an part. excellent distinction. That's, a, that's an important part of it. It doesn't actually work. Even if it worked, you shouldn't do it, but it doesn't work. The African rhino is targeted for its horn because of the belief among some who practice Eastern medicine that the horn has benefits as an aphrodisiac making it more valuable than cocaine in parts of the world. Oh, jeez. Can we? Can there be a charity? I'll start it and I'll donate money to uh, Viagra for... China? Stupid countries? Yeah, you don't Viagra for stupid countries will be the name... Asshole countries? <laughs> yeah. What? Viagra for asshole countries will be the name of my charity. <laughs> and we'll send them Viagra so you don't have to slaughter animals like tigers for the gallbladder or um, rhinos for their horn or bears whatever. Bears and the rest of it. Yeah. The, the amount of environmental carnage that's caused by people... 
wanting better erections in Asia is just astonishing. Yeah, we got the real stuff. We don't need erection placebos anymore. Yeah. Right. Very and, good. Very uh, good. And or, you know, uh, all right, I'll give that, that too. Blue pills for Asia. And, you know, with every package, it would say, by the way, rhino horns don't do anything for anything. You it limp, just, D. It just, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not going to help them. Erections lasting longer than four hours, though rare, require immediate medical help. <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're like that guy just uh, yanked out of the uh, what is the Southern Poverty Law Center. They're going to have to get rid of the founder. You're, <laughs> we appreciate you coming up with the idea, but you're not doing us any good at this point. So anyway, way to go, lions and, and elephants. Way to stand up for your brother rhino. What is our presidential election going to be like? Well, maybe the presidential election or prime minister election they've got going on in Israel. Neither man has said much about policy, and the result is one of Israel's most consequential elections has been one of the ugliest and shallowest. Mm. There were no debates, few serious interviews of the leading candidates. Get out the vote rallies have been replaced by Facebook, Twitter videos, and anonymous texts. No policy, just screaming at each other. So I wonder if that's what's coming our way for our presidential election. We will have debates. Yes. Yeah, but like personal invective, I think will probably be the number one strategy employed how about that That, he's a bad person she is a bad person whatever one of your most consequential elections hard fought and not policy yeah ugly and shallow one thing that i've heard really uh, repeated over and over again is that there's a lot of energy on the right even to the right of netanyahu and so if he gets elected which is most likely he'll form a government with one of those even further right parties or a couple of them but they included the uh, israeli libertarian party in there and, you know, I don't know a lot about them, honestly. In fact, I know virtually nothing about them. But to describe libertarians as far right is, that's an interesting thing. It just goes to show how useless labels are. God, I would say, I don't know I don't know anything about Israeli libertarians, but in general, libertarians often are uh, pro-gay marriage, pro-legalizing drugs, mm-hmm. anti-war. That makes on, you a right-winger? On, on the other hand, uh, very enthusiastic about much more limited government. Sure. But the whole concept of right and left is getting less and less useful, I think. You know, issue by issue, you can understand it uh, pretty well, anyway. Like immigration, for instance, or, or you know, maybe uh, the size of the welfare state or military funding. Yeah, okay, those are useful distinctions there. But just like to describe a person or a party, I but think ba- it's practically useless. But based on what I just told you about Israel's election, and, and remember, we are only 575 days away from our own. Right, so if you've been slacking, get ready. Do you expect this presidential election to be more policy-based or less than last time around? Uh, I, I hate to be this guy, but I am this guy. I think both... I think there are certain areas of policy that there will be out. serious chicken ass answer. Didn't even answer it. <laughs> didn't even answer the question. Chicken ass. Now you're being speciesist. <laughs> What's wrong with chickens? Do you hear about that nice handicapped chicken who's learning to walk again <laughs> after the weasel attack? You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. There's our board operator, Michelangelo, pressing buttons, flipping toggles, pulling levers. How are you this morning, Michael? Uh, good. I need a little advice here. Um, I showed up yesterday, and there's a package on my door, and it's to the person that lived maybe a year or two ago in, where I now live. But it's a children's bicycle. Oh, right? wow. So they have the wrong address. But Who I, would be send, who would, who would be close enough to a family to send the kid a bicycle? 
but not no, they don't live there yeah, anymore. I'll bet they ordered it and accidentally didn't change their default address. That's what I was thinking. Order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it came. Mm-hmm. I know where it came from, and so I was in. So how's it up. ride? I haven't opened. <laughs> Did you take it over to any sweet jumps? Did <laughs> <laughs> you put on your short pants and go for a ride? No, but my girlfriend doesn't want me to do it. She's all, I think this is a scam of some sort. Somebody, I don't want to get involved. And I'm thinking, no, this isn't a scam. Or there's I think a six-year-old really right. crying hard because they didn't Wondering get their bicycle for their, bike. For, their, for, their, for their birthday. Right, birthday. Right. So I'm going to take it to the store, and I, I'm going to take my chances, you know? Why don't you just get physically there and... take it to the store? Yeah. You can just return to sender, right? I, I guess I could. But I was going to take a bike. Well, do you do? You, so you have the name. Of, do you know the people that used to live there or not? No, I don't. No, okay, I just know the name. I recognize the name. So gotcha. I think I'll just load it up in the car and drop it off to the store, the physical store, and say, "Hey, this showed up. This is the wrong address." Can Poor you kid crying right now doesn't know some disc jockey has his bike. Right. I'm calling you a disc jockey. We're all disc jockeys in my mind. Yeah, that is offensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the. Like Fredo is the Italian N-word, disc jockey is the our industry's N-word. Right, exactly. It's like the worst thing you can ever say. It's the radio industry's N-word, disc mm. jockey. Mm. Um, I, I hate to even hear the term. There is po- positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing all right, but not as uh, as, as well as I should, because I, I, I had a little tri-tip uh, mistake earlier this week. I, I, I grilled up tri-tip several days ago, but I over... It wasn't a ton, but I slightly overcooked it a little bit, and I... The initial eating wasn't that bad because you can just kind of go to the middle of the tri-tip where it's a little thicker and it's fine. But where I'm really noticing is because when you reheat it, you're still cooking it a little bit more each time you reheat it. Sure. Oh, yeah. And so now it's uh, I essentially got tri-tip jerky for the last bits of the, <laughs> the tri-tip, and it was not it was not good. So I like to start fairly raw with uh, with my steaks in the beginning because I know I'm going to reheat them for a, a couple of times. And that's normally what I do. And I took it off, uh, and I just happened to take it off too early this time. I cut into it, and I was like, oh well, that's that's no good. And so then I tried. I had to turn the grill back. Back on and put it back, and so I had it. It was just a disaster all the way around, and I really disappointed in my in my uh, my grilling misstep there. I I got a I got a pledge to do better next time. You can always cook it more. Yeah. By the way, did you see they did a poll of two thousand people in the radio industry that are on the air? Really? As to why they're on the air, what they like about it? Really? Yeah. I didn't see that. It's pretty interesting. I'll hit you with the results. Speaking and of free uh, T-shirts. Speaking of being yeah, right. disc jockeys. And some f- some of the reasons are, are are practically like that. An affinity for bumper sticker stops. <laughs> <laughs> there is Marshall Phillips who does our news every day. How are you, Marshall? I'm doing all right. I'm in the process of radical downsizing. So yesterday I called a local charity because I wanted to give them some of my used furniture. You talking about for you or your footprint on Earth? Are you trying to make yourself smaller? I'm just trying to move product. I'm you trying know? to make myself. That's my radical downsizing. I'm trying to make myself physically I smaller. S- oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just I'm just getting getting stuff out of the house. So anyway, I call up a local charity. Will you come out and pick it up? Well, they're getting very picky. You have a couch and a cabinet. Are they in good shape? Is the couch ripped? Uh, You vouch for all this. Well, uh, we'll be out. uh, They give you a date between noon and five. But remember, we can refuse it if it's badly damaged. So they are now getting really quite, you know, asking a lot of questions about what you want to give away to charity. I've had that problem before, too. Yeah, and I I got to tell you, getting rid of furniture, even the stuff you think is worth something, oh, ain't please. easy. They don't yeah. want it. No, it ain't yeah. worth much. I'm finding out. So from furniture now, depreciates amazingly fast. Yeah, from now on, it's a futon, a bing, beanbag chair, a TV, and a laptop, and that's it. I'm paring down. They're inflatable. Yeah. I know the hardest thing to get rid of because Joe and I each had one once. Hold on a second, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> a Brahma. Kapuya, kapuya. <laughs> 
We endorsed Nordic Track one time, the uh, Swedish <laughs> exercise machine. Oh, yeah, it's, it's slimming and trimming and calorie burning. Oh, Jeez, this was fabulous. 20, one today. This was 24 years ago. Was that the one that mimicked cross-country skiing? Yes, cross-country yeah. skiing. Yeah, right. anyway. that's, that's why we're on the air for free Nordic Track. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave us the nicest one they make, the oh, one that's yeah. made out of dark stained wood. I mean, this was a beautiful piece of equipment. Oh, yes. Which I used for a total of three minutes. <laughs> and then um, after... after uh, when I was going to move, so I'd had it for like a year, I found out you literally can't give those things away. Nope. You literally can't give them away. You can li- you can list, I think I listed it, because it was like a $1,200 machine or something. Mm-hmm. Right. I listed it first for like a couple hundred dollars, no takers, then I was listing it for free, no takers. Then I started to go to like Goodwills and places like that, and they get, look over there, they got like 50 in the back. You think I need another Nordic track? We use them for firewood, idiot. Now get out. Oh, I eventually drove to a Goodwill, went behind it, and left it behind their back door and drove yes. off. Oh, that's ethical. I had to abandon it. <laughs> you can't give them away. Nordic Track is not going to pay us now to uh, endorse their product. I'm afraid you've further offended the Danes <laughs> with that little uh, that little. Give us Greenland, you bastards! Uh-huh. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Listen, I will uh, gladly, with with enthusiasm, follow up on our previous discussion about the helmetization of America and particularly our children. There are a number of factors at work, and I, you know, I would gladly sit down today and start writing the book. I would have so much enthusiasm for this topic. But number one, there are already too many books. <laughs> And, and number two... That's why you burn them in big piles. And number two... <laughs> at night. That's right. And, and and number two, I'm a man who craves leisure. And that sounds like a lot of work. That's funny. So, I don't know. It's up to you. Do you want to move on or what? Do you, I, I'd, I'd be happy to talk about it. The Jack talking about the thousand rules at the pool. And, and they're so picky. And very few of them... Are, have any significant safety concerns. Oh, I mean, no, God, just, no. Uh, God, no. Uh, a, a five-year-old jumps off the side of the pool and kind of sort of twists in the air, and they get whistled for that. And, right. All and, the, all the, if you're older and you haven't been to a community pool, all the normal things you did at a pool when you were a kid, I mean older by like over 30, <laughs> all the normal things you did at the community pool you can't do anymore. Right. They're too dangerous. Right. Driven by lawyers, driven by this weird obsession with with safety at all times that I, I have fallen prey to myself. If I was starting over as a parent, I would do a number of things differently. I got sucked in. I didn't know. I didn't have kids before. Right. I got sucked into the whole world at the baby store of all this safety stuff that I just don't think is necessary. And I think is part of making our kids insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a two-sided coin of nasty, of evil, in that we never... Uh, I mean, we we convince them that there is danger everywhere always, which will stress someone. And number two, we don't let them explore and try and get a little scared and learn how to deal with it and understand, oh, this actually is something I don't want any part of. I'm backing off. That's such an important life skill. One of the most persuasive things I've read in recent years, it was talking about the whole free-range parenting thing, of which I'm a huge advocate, it said... Every child needs to get lost twice and find their way back before they have the life skill of staying cool, dealing with the unfamiliar, and thinking, okay, I can handle this. 
And most parents are utterly terrified of the idea of their kid ending up on a street and realizing, okay, I'm not sure how to get home from here. It's an incredibly important life skill. I think it fits in. We actually talked about this on the One More Thing podcast, if you ever listen to those. Because I stole, I told the story yesterday, including F-bombs. <laughs> it does sound entertaining. Of being at the swimming pool and how the lifeguard whistled my kid for uh, something stupid. And, and, and I lost my temper a little bit with the uh, the lifeguard who was just doing their job. But um, all this stuff started happening at the same time. Now, you can't deny that we have unprecedented levels of anxiety among children. There's no denying that. There's plenty of proof of that, including just your own life, in that everybody you know has like one or more kids that are dealing with anxiety problems. Yes. Where did that come from? Um, And and in Europe, at least, they, they, they started ahead of us, and they're ahead of the curve on they're now starting to take out the super safe playgrounds and replace them with some of the old dangerous stuff, like monkey bars and teeter-totters, because they realize it's doing more harm than, than good. But all this stuff happened at the same time. I'm not making the argument that we need to throw all of it out, but it all happened together. So, mandatory helmets on bicycles, and seat belts, and the little plastic things that you put in the plug on the wall, all happened around the same time that we started not letting you do a cannonball at the pool or run on the grass. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us, if you're over a certain age, you didn't grow up with any of that. Never wore a helmet, never wore a seatbelt, never had a plastic thing protecting me from the outlet, never told I was could do, I could do anything at the pool that I wanted to do. I mean, so we went from all of those things I just mentioned to none of those things in a pretty short span. And I think the the, the result is... We've convinced children that the world is so scary they should spend their whole lives nervous. Right, right. That's and, part of it. Oh, and, and I, I skipped over my point. So you said uh, kids need to get lost so they can deal with it. I think, because I, I see this with my kids and other people's kids, somehow we've convinced them, it's the parents' fault, my fault, not their fault, it's the parents' fault, we've convinced them that getting hurt at all is is just a disaster. Right. <laughs> so if you get hurt, oh my God, I've gotten hurt, you warned me about this, corners of the table, Doing a twist at the pool, not wearing a helmet. I've heard about this getting hurt. This must be what it feels like. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. Right. When, you know, children used to get hurt on a daily basis and you realized it wasn't that big a deal. It would go away after a while. Clean it off. Go back to playing. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that work. The liability thing is enormous. In, in Europe's different tort laws, I think, are a factor in the f- fact that they can even do it. I, I read some great stuff on, with the decline of religion in America, people are now searching for some sort of redemption on earth and or eternal life on earth. They want to be immortal because they don't believe in life after death anymore. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's a little egg-headed a notion, but you do see signs of it. One thing that nobody wants to talk about, uh, and we will hear because I don't give a damn, and it's not a question of whether it's good or bad. I'm looking at this more as a, like a, anthropologists would than somebody advocating one thing or another. The reason things like or or more socialist policies work in your Scandinavian countries is that's like one race. They have been historically one race, one religion, one point of view. There's like three different last names. Everybody knows everybody. It's a smaller place and they have shared common values. And so everybody knows what their responsibilities are and how they're supposed to act. It's like, you know, uh, Sebastian Younger in Tribe talks about how in, you know, like Indian tribes, it was share and share alike. Everybody pitched in and everybody uh, got enough food and blah, blah, blah. But if you didn't contribute, you were put to death. 
There was no laziness. There was no slacking. There was no being on Indian welfare. If you weren't contributing, you were either shoved out to starve to death or they would just put a spear in your belly. You were killed. That's how socialism can work if everybody agrees on what everybody's responsibility is and everybody pressures everybody to do it which would never happen in the United States. But so back to the the zillion rules at the school or at the pool or at schools or whatever. Back when the country was overwhelmingly, um, and people like to talk about the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant thing, but when overwhelmingly people were Christian, the Bible, believed in Western civilization, believed in the Constitution, and and had a fairly common view of life, there was no need for a thousand rules because there were a thousand unspoken rules. We had a culture that made clear to you what your expectations were. There was no law against, or there needn't be a law against dropping an F-bomb in front of children at a McDonald's. There's no need for that law because if you did it, ten different dads would get in your face. Say, hey, what are you doing? There are women and children here. But as our society has, why don't we say, become more diverse in terms of nationality, religion, culture, tradition, etc., we don't have those shared agreements anymore. So you've got to codify all of it. You've got to have a list of 1,006 rules. You know, societies that are fighting for their lives don't worship safety. That's an absurdity because there isn't enough of it. So you worship toughness and self-reliance and cleverness and the rest of it. Um, so you combine all those things together. That's my book, in short. Don't bother reading it. It's overly long. But that, that's the argument I'm making my book. We have really three or four different factors that have led us to this terrified, cowardly, veal-calf society that we have now. I was just thinking about my average... Let your kid out of his cage, by the way. That's my advice to you. I was just thinking about my average summer day... When I was my uh, son's age, around nine years old. This I was, was in 1870? <laughs> I, I would have done, geez, I don't know, 25 dangerous things that he's not going to do today. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like dangerous, sneak your dad's forty-five out of the gun safe and shoot at your friends. Like ride your bike fast and, and go off a dirt jump. And like I said, I'm not advocating doing away with all this stuff, but... I would have been riding my bike without a helmet. We would have been. Uh, we would have been at the. We we might have gone to the community pool and done all kinds of crazy, dangerous things like cannonballs or, uh, or or worn our goggles when we jumped off the diving board or no, any no. of the other stupid rules that they yeah, had. To put out your eye. Or stuff that I can control, like just playing on your own and running around the countryside. And my parents didn't know where we were. Right, we just had to be back at noon or whatever, and <laughs> time for dinner. Um. Swinging on a rope clear across a barn from one giant stack of hay bales to another stack of hay bales. I could do that with my kids, but we don't. So I'm I've fallen prey to this myself. Um, I'm I'm part of the society that does this. County will just, come and take them away. Yeah, they might. It's it's just, it's something though. It huh. it really worries me because it I mean mean like deeply bothers me the idea of giving a kid lifelong anxiety problems. Because they're told at the pool or at home or wherever that life is so scary. It's nuts. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't know. Luckily, my kids are mostly learning, at least at the pool, that life is full of stupid rules that you uh, that you should ignore if you can. Yeah. Um. And, and not that it's dangerous. Yeah. 
God dang it, why are we doing this to ourselves? Well, we just explained that. I, I think part of it is, listen, if you are, if you got a band of apes there in the jungle, and the fruit just falls from the trees, the apes aren't any good at gathering fruit. They don't need to be. It's just, uh, we've created this incredibly safe, uh, affluent, litigious environment, so people are no good at, at finding their own way. But got so you know, many different places. Lawyers do drive a lot of it, but the the getting hurt, somebody just texted about the getting hurt is a disaster for kids. Yeah, well, at schools, they treat any injury like it's a disaster. Right. I mean, if somebody gets cut and they're bleeding, it's a whoop, 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 alert, whoop, whoop, somebody got a scratch, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Because somebody might get sued. I think that's what drives most of it. Wow. So everybody, all the kids get their idea. It's a very, very big deal if you get a little cut on yourself on the playground. It's a huge deal. And whatever, however that kid got cut, that no kid can ever do that again. Do not right. play on that again in that way because somebody got cut. Right. Right. That's, God, that's so crazy. It is. It's making everybody crazy. Wow. Parents and children. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the stuff. Armstrong and Getty. One of our beloved listeners uh, dropped us a, a mailbag, mail, and it's a mailbag. Uh, dropped us an email, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com, in which they expressed that, um, you know, one grain of hope from all this is that uh, people will understand how insidious and crappy the 24-hour news cycle is, and and start to reject it. And listen, this ain't bragging. I don't know. Maybe I'm just easily led or follow easily or something. But generally speaking, if if the two of us are getting really sick of something and starting to understand that, you know, this is toxic. I thought it was fun, but it's not anymore. A lot of other people are feeling that way, too. And if people gain perspective that constantly bathing themselves in the worst misery, child stabbed to death in rural Montana, gang rape in, you know, northern Virginia, and everybody has to take on all that stuff all the time. Uh, you know, I think people are finally realizing that that's just a terribly unhealthy way to live. Um, anyway, on a completely different topic, uh, over in Japan, they're they're making human-animal hybrids and uh, doing it with the approval of the government. And here's the difference. Here is the difference. They're going to allow them to come to term. They're going to let the human-animal baby be born. And it's, um, well, it's chilling stuff. And we're all at risk. Uh, they're trying to grow, uh, well, they're trying to grow pancreases in l- l- mice and rats. If you've ever wanted a tiny pancreas, Japan's going to have one for you. Well, what's the concern with this, though? Where, where does it go off the rails? Well, some t- one of the concerns is that the human cells might not restrict themselves to the pancreas and that there will be human DNA that somehow reaches the brain through processes which I do not understand. I was more a words guy than a science guy. It's like Jurassic Park. Nature finds a way. Mm, You can't can't control it. So you end up with, like, talking mice that are on Facebook or what? Uh, Probably so, and demanding the vote. Mm. Uh, Listen, we have to recognize there are 10 to 12 million mice in this country. We need to give them the vote. Human mice. Well, I appreciate, though, that Japan, as a normal country, is doing this uh, with everybody's knowledge as opposed to China and North Korea and Russia, which I'm sure are far along in doing this and keeping it underground. Yeah. And yeah. don't care what the uh, what the ethics of the world community are. I think it's pretty safe to say if Japan is doing something openly, your horrendous regimes are probably 
years ahead of them and doing it secretly. Particularly China, with right. you know, they're one of the biggest economies in the world. They got lots of money to spend. And they don't give a damn about the sanctity of human life or anything ridiculous like that. No, Communists no. generally don't. No, that 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 that's the difference between Japan and the United States and all European countries and China. If they had to have a hundred people die to try to produce some sort of technological breakthrough, a hundred, a thousand, they wouldn't care at all. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we talked about this a little in our award-winning podcast, One More Thing, which you can get. It's like an extra segment of the show, only for podcast listeners, and it's available wherever and podcasts are given away. handsomely. <laughs> Glad somebody's making money off that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we talked about this, and, and I pitched my idea for a great horror movie. And I'm, I ought to get to work writing a script, um, and it would have to do with pigs, because... Talking mice, who cares? But so they worked with pigs because pigs are genetically, I guess, fairly similar to humans. And as I understand it, we don't reject stuff grown in pigs as readily. You know, the organ rejection thing when you get a transplant. Um, and so it's delicious or what? Well, maybe that's part of it. You know, your your body's thinking, you know, that new pancreas of mine, it's clearly not human, but it is delicious. Uh, so anyway, human-animal hybrids, it's terrifying. There's a history of stories going back. You know, your island, the Dr. Moreau, your The Fly. Any other good ones I'm, I'm forgetting? Well, oh, my God, the, the wolfman, the werewolf, right? Huh. It's a kind of a human-animal hybrid thing. Um, in in my movie, the the pigs, you know, some... Uh, and, and positive, Sean, you can tell me what trope to use in the movie, but if nature finds a way, the human DNA gets into the pig brain... And the pigs are exhibiting more and more human, uh, you know, behaviors. And the scientists become more troubled. And the, But the meat industry demands they shut up. And, and, and there are high-level meetings and marches in the streets. And, and finally, they decide they have to slaughter the humanimal. That's the new term, humanimal. The human pig. And they go to the pig's pen thinking, well, we'll get a couple of hams out of it, if nothing else. And the pig looks at the person with the with the hatchet and says, how, how would a pig's voice sound? Do you think it'd be squealy or more grunty? Killing grunty. You're slaughtering pigs with a hatchet in this scenario? <laughs> well, that's the old-timey way, isn't what it? What year is this? Okay. Barbaric! Oh, all right, I don't know. What, do they throw a grenade it's at for them? the visual effect of the movie. So Jack, get out of the way. Let, let, let's, <laughs> let's the creative brainstorm. <laughs> yeah, really, don't don't trample on my genius. Uh, so they go up to him with whatever device they use to dispatch pigs these days. Although it's not like an assembly line because there are on, only a couple of these okay. uh, human pigs. Um, and so they go up to him, maybe they got a shotgun or something, and uh, sorry about this, Jim, he'll say, and the pig will look up, and it's I'm thinking a grunty voice, say, don't kill me. And all the... Everybody in the audience at the movie is going to freak out, probably wet their pants. And the guy's going to back off with the shotgun. They go, oh, my God. That might even be the last scene of the movie. Sure. How's that for dropping a mic? I want <laughs> to live. Squeal. Yo! Squeal. Oh, wee! Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. Wee! Want to live. That's what he'd say. <laughs> That'd be the T-shirt, too. And Of course, I'd have to market it with some sort of fake controversy that PETA's coming out in favor of it or against it or something like that. I built my house of straw. (laughs) I don't think we can get the rights to that. Shoot, shoot that pig. He's stupid. You can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. But I tell you what, when this actually happens, it's going to be troubling stuff. I mean, 
There are going to be some decisions to be made. If it's mostly human with just a little pork, then is it fully human? Well, yeah. Is it? Mostly human? What if it got a snout like a pig? <laughs> I've what known if it's a, got a corkscrew tail? I've known a few. What then? This is a real ethical dilemma. <laughs> what if it's a pig, but with like vastly higher intelligence than, yeah. than a regular pig, and you realize, oh, this is more like... Well, pigs are supposed to be pretty smart, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah and we, we, treat, we treat monkeys the way we treat them. What if it's a pig that could beat the average person at chess? <laughs> It could probably beat me at chess. Push it around the pieces with its hooves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's possible. that unlikely. <laughs> well, they get little... You knocked my lawn little, over. They got... <laughs> I'm sorry, I have hooves. I'm sorry, I have hooves. Wow. <laughs> say to its keeper. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. 